to BeerNet Radio. Listen to on every continent except Antarctica. BeerNet Radio. (laughs) Ah, so good. That's where she sits now. Oops, that's my over-the-shoulder cam when I'm... Uh we can see your your bottles of whiskey in that shot harry well the, okay those those these are samples for a podcast that i'm planning these are samples for my mouth well hello bill kirk welcome oh, hello thank thank you guys for having me this is this is a big day uh yeah. taylor swift new album and you guys still have time to talk i know i know it's a big deal um <laughs> They're playing it upstairs, my tenant, and my neighbor's uh, cutting his lawn. So we have all kinds of ambient noise. Again, so, you know, we, sh- we should start uh, by saying that, you know, Bill is with MKM Partners, and he does cover, uh, what do you cover, Bill? Why don't I just ask you? Beer, cannabis, retail, distribution. Uh, if you make it, move it, or sell it, um, I probably cover it in, in, in some some fashion. So. A little bit of everything, uh, not not necessarily the pure three tier, tier that you guys know of alcohol, but uh, three tier of, of packaged food. Okay, all right, and and you and Jen are married, is that right? <laughs> is that right? That's a, that's a question, right? You you were there. You gave a speech. <laughs> I know, and yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't even scheduled to give one. That was the best part. <laughs> What, what do you make of the the Mountain Dew thing? Is that just a, a relationship deal, or, or are they like tr- trying to play chess, looking around corners ten years down the road? Or, I mean, it kind of prevents Pepsi from even buying them. Um, I, I, th- I think they're pushing, and we talked about this back in in January or February. I, I mean, they're they're pushing the the regulatory envelope. They're they're figuring out. Uh, Molson Coors was simply they're figuring out. Uh, what they're what they're allowed to do with non-out brands, um, and uh, the regulators have been pretty quiet and haven't really done much. But now you have counterparties starting to file lawsuits, so the the, the, the courts are now have to start paying attention, uh, right? Because it's being put in front of them. Um, so I I don't know, but those are obviously huge mega brands, uh, and it, you know we you know, Brown Foreman and Coca-Cola, we've all mixed plenty of times over the years. So why not explore that combination for Coke and, and, and Jack Daniels? Um, I get it. I just don't know how how the, regula- the regulators are going to feel about it. And I also don't know um, how, how big it could be. I mean, those are really simple mixes. They're not as complicated as a Paloma RTD, which is, I guess, is a pretty simple mix too. But, you know, I can make my own Jack and Coke. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder what's going to be on that truck down the line. Like we talked to Emiliano, and he was like, "Oh, you know, a dozen brands. Bar, it's all Pepsi licensed brands." But when you, once you go beyond that, and presumably if and when you go beyond that, what does it look like? Right? Is it going to be all RTDs? It, it, Pepsi seems just hell bent on owning their distribution, no matter what it is. You know, whether it be chips, soft drinks, beer, and Coke is the opposite you know they, they refranchise everything and let others do that and focus on marketing so that's to me that's fun because the two largest beverage companies in the world have different strategies and so it's uh it'd be interesting to see how each one adds value or not and historically owning your own bottlers has not created value but times may be different now that was a very low margin business back then and margins are higher now because mix is so much better Thanks, Mike Rapolo, and thanks, 
uh, you know, the guy at Buy and, you know, all these super premium drinks. Let's talk about Chad Krugerson. Krugerson. <laughs> Krugerson. Uh, Kroger buying Albertsons. Um, so I'm in the line at uh, O'Hare last week coming back from actually meeting Bill in Jersey from the gauntlet that was the MBWA show and then the very successful Alliance for Women in Beer. And very I'm complaining. Success. Yes. And I'm complaining. I'm texting Bill in the line because without fail, I end up choosing the wrong line in security. Like without fail. It's like the textbook Murphy's Law cover. So I'm texting Bill this and he responds back. Kroger Albertson's merger, and I was like, "Oh shit, you win! <laughs> you win!" So, Bill, remind us what's what's on the table here, right? Like, so a twenty twenty five billion dollars. You're combining Kroger with with all its banners owns about twenty eight hundred stores, and Albertsons with all its banners owns about twenty two hundred stores. Um, Kroger, uh, before this, it was already the number two player market share of food grocery in the country nine share walmart's got the most almost 25 so uh, walmart kroger and then right around third or fourth was is albertson's um at, at like six or seven share so you have nine share trying to combine with six or seven share uh, and that share nationally you know, maybe only adds up to 20 you know 16 or whatever um but in some local markets it's huge some in seattle that share together is huge in california, california. That share together is huge uh, even in Chicago, uh, with Mariano's and Julasco, that share locally is huge. So, the the government is going to have a a really long process of looking at hyper local individual markets to decide if these two giant grocery stores can come together. Uh, and so, it's going to be a very long process. It's going to require a lot of divestitures in those markets. They're not going to be allowed to buy. All of it. They know this, but they're not going to be allowed to buy all of Albertsons. They're, they're going to only be allowed to be able to buy some, and that's where the debate starts: is like how much can they, how much can they really buy, and then is it still worth it to them if it gets, if it gets minimized too much by the government? And that right. break point is like what, like how many stores? Yeah. So Kroger's saying they think it's only a hundred to like three hundred and seventy-five. I think the range is, uh, but in in their in their merger agreement. Um, if it gets to 650 stores, Kroger can walk away. So if the government asks for 650 stores, Kroger is allowed to walk. Um, now, when we look at like zip codes, right? Like, fine, let's look at let's look at these footprints. When we look at those individual zip codes of where all the where all the stores are, uh, they share Albertsons locations. 629 of them share a zip code with a Kroger location. And, you know, some zip codes are big and, you know, that's fine, but some zip codes border each other, all of them, <laughs> and and they might have stores that I'm not even counting that are just across the zip code line from one another. So right. I come out to a number that's a lot higher than uh, Kroger's 100 to 375 and much closer to what they've put in the agreement as their breaking point uh, in the 600s. I got you. Okay. And to me, what what's the benefit i i don't see if you're if you're gaining share nationally great you, you can put some pressure on your suppliers i guess but if you're not gaining share in a market there is no benefit like it's you're just a bigger company i don't, I don't see what the strategic benefit is uh, you know except that you're scared of walmart i guess yeah. I, I i think i think your point's right i think it, i think it comes a lot later i think the benefit is down the road uh, because they're talking about we have to invest in these Albertson stores, $1.3 billion. We have to raise the wages of these Albertsons people by a billion dollars. We have to lower price by 500 million. 
all right, there, there goes $2.8 billion uh, that you got to go put into this that offsets, at least in the beginning, offsets those scale benefits or those uh, negotiating power benefits with the, with the labor unions. So um, it doesn't come early. It comes over a long period of time. Uh, it is a bigger audience. So Kroger, Walmart, Amazon are all trying to build these giant marketplaces. Uh, they include third-party sellers. They obviously do their own you know, uh, selling and marketing on there. Um, but they just are trying to build the largest online audience they possibly can to go get ad dollars. Mm -hmm. So that's that's kind of the evolution is we need more eyeballs. And so the physical stores are one element of it, but just getting those eyeballs onto your online Kroger.com, Albertsons.com, all those manufacturers now need to pay more for ad placement or search placement. Is right? everything media? It's it's becoming yeah uh, it's becoming that way because walmart's big pushes are on walmart plus right they want to sell a subscription model they want to link it to entertainment uh, right uh, and keep people in their ecosystem where you can't leave it's it's almost like the the wall with the walled gardens of of the iphone products right you're you're in the Apple ecosystem that's valuable very valuable over a long period of time that's what Amazon's trying to do. It's why Amazon bought Whole Foods. It's just, we, we can't have them, food be a reason somebody leaves our ecosystem. So now we have food. Um, Walmart entering all the other stuff outside of food. And now Kroger trying something you know similar to build that audience. And so pays over a long period of time, but no, not not in the immediate sense. Yeah. And for food, right, it's, it's funny that they chose now to try and do this merger because food prices, right, like are sky high. So why now, considering it doesn't seem like that great of a time for them to be able to get approval? Mm -hmm. it's, it's a terrible time from that perspective, right? It's, it's hard to sell decreased competition when food is as inflationary as it has been at any point basically since the 70s. Um, so it is a really bad environment for it, but the process is going to take a long time. So they're not talking about approval until 2024. Mm -hmm. And at that point, maybe food isn't that inflationary, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe you just get to the point where, okay, food isn't that inflationary, that, that risk is, is a little bit less than it is today. But I completely agree. It makes all the complaints louder. Um, you mean, you saw Senator uh, Klobuchar, right? day one saying we're going to have an antitrust hearing on the Senate. Now, the Senate doesn't have much power over something like this, uh, but they aren't usually that quick to react to any deal. And here they are day one, because food is such a sensitive topic. Food pricing is such a sensitive topic. Um, I think an underrated risk here is is the slotting fees, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the two biggest conventional grocery stores coming together. They will control the slotting fee market for manufacturers now you, your space you guys right you guys can't do this but those retailers well, are sure. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the retailers you ask yeah the retailers charge a lot for it right and now one entity is going to control five thousand locations slotting fee, slotting fee policies and the smaller manufacturers are going to have a really hard time getting national placement and national placement is the only way they get profitable scale, uh, right? Like, think about the craft brewers, how upset they get when there's a, a mega manufacturer deal. Mm -hmm. And they, they maybe even have less ground to stand on in some ways. And they get very loud and they get concessions. And we're going to hear the small food manufacturers throw an absolute fit over this because their route to market or their access to market is harmed.
You know, what's funny is we this week reached out to, I don't know, 40 maybe of the top 50 craft brewers asking about their reaction to this deal. And it was crickets. Mm. And the two that did respond were like, A, either they're not really big in my market or B, you know, we we service everyone, you know, we, we play with chains, we play with independent, you know. So they either don't care or they're biding their time or they're just slightly bigger than the smallest players who might care in that. But of course, food manufacturer is different than yeah. beer producers. Well, so. and, and, and some of those craft brewers, they can get profitable in a regional sense, right? Mm -hmm. You can get profitable as a regional craft brewer if you have a good taproom business and good regional share. You can't really get profitable and compete with the giant General Millses of the world if you lack national scale, right? There's no, there's no tap room. There's no, there's not much regional branding and packaged food. You need national, right? Mm -hmm. And like, so there's, there's less of an avenue to become profitable for packaged food than maybe there even is in craft beer. Yeah, and because there aren't sliding, sliding fees, right. it's easier to get in. It's you know sometimes I, point down the aisle at HEB and I'm like, how did they get in the shelf? I mean, <laughs> Rusty must have, been, must have been off his game that day or something. <laughs> That that end cap is getting bought, and if you're a small brand, you can't buy it. You can't you can't right. get. Well, let's pivot to Circle Crunk, and <laughs> I mean this is the news. You know, Circle K is testing in ten stores in Florida. Uh, like like Jen said, it's it seems like a pop up in partnership with a cannabis company to to sell cannabis under their license. You know, it's just ten stores out of like. 650 in Florida so it's very very small test but it could lead to things and is this the mainstreaming of pot and do you do you what do you see of what do you make of this bill yeah so the structure sounds like it's going to be like a, a, a detached well like part of the same building but like a sublease its own section its own doors like um like in New Jersey how they sell beer at a grocery right it's got to be its own little Oh, yeah, well, like like uh, like door. Costco, like liquor, like Costco yes. liquor stores yeah, in Texas. Texas. Yeah, yep. <laughs> exactly. So that's what that's what it sounds like. Um, but Circle K is a huge retailer, to your point. And in 2024, there's hopes that Florida gets recreational cannabis because Florida's only medical. So like, uh, you know. I don't know how many how many medical needs get serviced at a gas station. I don't know, but in twenty surprised, <laughs> we both said it. I mean, well, they I... have the, they have the pills at checkout. That's one medical needs. <laughs> um, but so Circle K being involved increases the likelihood that in twenty twenty four recreational adult use everyday use gets on the ballot. All right, and when it's just a bunch of weed people asking for it, it might be a little tricky to get on a ballot. But when you have one of the biggest retailers who will likely be now in support of full legalization in Florida, it's on that 2024 ballot. And if it's on the ballot, it passes. So you have, with Circle K joining, you have a much higher chance of one of the biggest states legalizing marijuana. Um, and so I, I think that locally is is a very, a very big deal. Um, it, but it is, it's in the same vein of these retailers want to participate. These CPG companies want to participate. These pharmaceutical companies want to participate. So they'll dip their toe in the water. Uh, minority equity stakes, small partnerships, joint ventures. They're trying to be there when they're allowed to be there. And if, if 10 stores is, is not allowed, fine, whatever, it's just 10 stores. Um, but th that's what it is. It's, it's dipping your toes. It's learning. Uh, and maybe in some ways, the cannabis companies might be light letting what's the expression the fox in the hen house 
Yeah. Right? Like, why do why do I want to teach Circle K how to sell how to sell weeds? <laughs> right? If right. the day comes where Circle K is allowed uh, to do it on their own, they right. that that business might put all my retail locations out of business. Right? So I'd be a little hesitant if I'm a weed retailer to go teach one of the best retailers in the world how to sell a new category. Right. And so I, I think Circle K making news, being an early adopter, also teaches the consumer, oh, Circle K sells weed, you know, so when they, if they do roll this out, it's already in the mm-hmm. zeitgeist. But we all know that C stores are the number one channel for beer and the most important channel, I would say by far, for beer because it's uh, so exclusively beer. There's very little wine and spirits sold in, in C stores. and but, but you bring cannabis into C stores, that could be a game changer as far as demand and cross elasticity of demand. Look, look at me talking like an mm-hmm. analyst. <laughs> <laughs> Substitution uh, effects. Yeah. Yes, thank you. So, I mean, this could be a big deal. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't, you know, it's a minor story. But uh, the access is everything. You know, going to a dispensary is not convenient because you can't buy anything else there. But if you, I mean, I go to a C store probably almost every day and that would affect my buying patterns, I would suspect, if I were a big weed smoker. (laughs) And and people are used to buying, you know, alcohol and even tobacco there, right? They're used to buying things to smoke there, right? There's there's lighters on the counter and people, people are ready for it. Um, so to your point, it would it would be a really convenient step against the illicit market, right? If you can get cannabis at a convenience store, that hurts the illicit market, um, but it probably would have a substitute effect on on beer purchases in that channel too. Maybe not, you know, aggregate beer purchases, but it takes away some of those single serve, the highest margin, you know, cans away. I would, yeah, single serve would be, I would think, the most affected. How- bold is this on circle k's behalf right how much are they sticking their neck out here so their parent company and i don't even know how it's pronounced kushtard or something 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 like that so forgive me if i'm pronouncing their parent <laughs> company wrong is a big publicly traded company uh, mm-hmm. and publicly traded companies have shied away from u.s cannabis right, right? constellations in canada uh you know when ab was partnering with tilray canada molson course hexo mostly canada you know some some cbd stuff maybe in denver but mostly canada so the biggest companies have been really shy even tobacco companies altria with chronos canada so the biggest publicly traded companies have been very shy to do anything in the u.s because it's not federally permissible so this that is their risk is they are doing something in the u.s with a cannabis company um so that it's not the 10 stores because that that is not that risky from like a business perspective. If it fails, it fails. It is we are putting our publicly traded listing right. at a little bit of a riskier position than anybody else has been willing to so far. I mean, Constellation right. wasn't even willing to go minor or majority stake in Canada. They had to stay mm-hmm. minority. Um, so it is it is it's a big step but it will. Eventually, it'll be like so commonplace that it, you know we might might have forgotten how how risky this this was, but it is it is pioneer stuff. I mean, it, it's incredible to me. I mean, even if it's a half a percent risk, right. you know, if you get delisted or something, you know, it could be catastrophic. I mean, and you've seen you know private companies, Southern Glaciers, most you know, they've kind of 
just said, we're going to take the risk. Well, a lot of beer distributors said, we're not going to take the risk. We don't want to risk our license. Um, and because I think if you make the calculation, no, nobody in the U.S. government is going to shut down Circle K because of cannabis, right? It would, the, the public would be outraged, I think. Mm. Um, although there are, you know, p- big chunks of the public who don't want this to be legal. Mm. So it, there is a, a tiny risk, but yeah, it's, it's well, there, there's it's investors, small. there's investors out there that their mandate, it, they cannot own companies that touch cannabis plants, right? Mm. Like there are investors out there mm. that may not now be allowed to own Circle K uh, mm. because they, in theory, could be touching cannabis plant. Now, the argument might be they're just subleasing the space and they're not touching it. Right. Right. And that could be the workaround, but that's that's the risk is there some people just because of the federal uh, status aren't allowed to invest in companies that touch cannabis in the U.S. Uh, and so nerds. <laughs> well, in fairness, in fairness, that uh, that mandate or that, that questionable status saved them a lot of money because those stocks have been a huge pain in the neck for investors. Right. They haven't done very well over the last three years. Um, so in some ways, they, their their legal fear has saved them from some losses. Right. Hey, Bill, what happens if marijuana gets descheduled? Right. Like there's been talk. Does that mean that all of a sudden AB can take a stake in something or? <laughs> uh, chaos is what happens. Um, so most people have always thought you need you need Congress. You need the House and the Senate to change cannabis legislation. Um, but under under descheduling with HHS or the DEA, you can get cannabis permissibility on a federal basis without uh, without Congress, basically. And so uh, the executive branch can almost sidestep Congress here. And depending on the laws that came out of it, which who knows, um, you have individual states that um, those assets might not be that valuable because interstate commerce is all of a sudden allowed. Um, you have a illicit market where there's no penalties anymore. And maybe maybe the, the, the legal companies just can't compete if there's no enforcement of, of illicit market, just, you know, it, that becomes the market. Um, so I, I don't know, I don't know what the outcome is, but this, this is a big new step where the rules are completely, completely up for grabs. I mean, I, I guess, I guess to answer your question, we, we don't know what, what would happen if it got descheduled um because it, it would be a it would be foobar fucked up beyond all recognition it's a military term yep. but i mean you're right it, it you can't just take away a law and allow a vacuum it, even the liquor business had the 21st amendment you know at least saying we're going to leave it to the states but just descheduling it uh, the illicit market would be like you said the market why would you why would you why would you pay all that extra to pay taxes and all that? And you you have some of these cannabis companies today that that set up these growing operations in like cold weather states because they're required to, right? They're individual state businesses because you can't go across state borders. Right. And if you're growing, if you have a big business that's growing weed in New York, and acreage, now, right? <laughs> yeah, and and, and and acreage has some, Cureleaf has has some. But if that asset's in New York, and all of a sudden you're allowed to bring weed from California into into the market your growing asset in New York is worthless, right? That all that money you put into the ground to grow a nice, awesome, state-of-the-art greenhouse in, in New York is worth zero. Um, but all the strategics, all the Circle Ks of the world, all the ABs of the world would would come in droves to try to figure out the space. Like overnight, 
you would almost create a, a bidding war because you have to act first. You almost can't wait till a competitor acts. They would all have to do something in the space uh, immediately. On a on a Twitter spaces, so take this what it's, for what it's worth, but on a Twitter spaces, the chairman of Cureleaf, the biggest cannabis company in the world, said, it mentioned AB twice, mentioned some other companies, but they mentioned uh, as examples of people who would be interested, they mentioned Anheuser-Busch twice, and they said if someone would come and buy us after that moment, someone, he's basically saying someone will come and buy us after that moment, and if they did, they would have to pay four times what we're worth right now. Now, obviously, scheduling. Yes. After if, the moment of discussion. Yes. Yeah. And, and obviously he's talking his own book, right? I mean, he, he wishes he was worth four times what he currently is. Yeah. Uh, but he made it a point to say, here come all these big companies on that moment and we're worth a lot more. Um, the debate is, are you really worth a lot more? Or can these companies figure out how to do it without you? Um, right. But, but the interest would go up exponentially um, because they can. It's a huge market. How do you make money, though? I mean, the demand is there, but... I mean, demand is demand, and it's being met. Mm-hmm. And can you charge a premium for branded commodity? I mean, obviously, it's done every day in beer, <laughs> but I don't know. Uh, well, it, it's it's more like wine, right? There's less brand loyalty. Um, you're mm-hmm. taking recommendations from friends, from dealers, from bud tenders. Um, you know, wine, wine shops mostly on style, right? I want a cap or whatever. It shops less on brand. This would be the extreme version of it, right? People would have a really hard time building brands in like smokable flour. You might get it through vape and pens and oils and like hardware equipment, or you might get it in gummies, making a gummies or a food brand, or maybe even in beverages, but like smokable flour, the bulk of the market, there's no brand. It's, it's, it's grapes. Right. But I also think you get a lot of new consumers once, right? The demand is what it is now, but once a market is legal, you get a lot more consumers because, you know, like Jessica Lucas, who used to be with BDS, presented once, I think, at our at our deal at DPS and showed how, you know, Colorado, you know, one of the, what was the first or one of the first legalized weed states, people who were adopters in the very beginning versus people who were adopters many years later. And it's like, it's basically alcohol. So I, for one, would would partake of the weed if it were legal in Texas. It's not, so I don't. But there's a lot of people like me out there, right? So dem- yeah. demand does increase, but how much, right? Is it? It, it does. Those those aren't the power users, though, right? Like it, well, they're it's, not it's, today, right? But they might end up being. They could. Right? They could be. The, the where where the industries had trouble is converting the power users. Like they, alcohol has the power users. The, the legal alcohol market obviously has the power users. There's not a real black market in alcohol i mean maybe some moonshines but you know it's not a real number um the illegal market has kept most of the power users because they've been using it for a really long time where you know they're the bulk of the consumption they trust it they rely on it and it's cheaper right The, the legal market is cheaper illegal market is cheaper than the legal market so they've had trouble converting the power users and then you get these you know a little bit one off i don't know i mean i'll call them soccer moms that join the category a little bit they aren't going to consume as much as a a different type of headcount could but i've got to think that the legal market ends up finding a way to make a better experience for Mm -hmm. everyone right like it becomes legal market 2.0 right it's your instacart instead of your you know randles i go to my Mm -hmm. right like 
that will happen eventually. Eventually that will happen. And when you you see that when there's like a, a scare in the vape cartridge market, right? When when all of a sudden people are getting right. sick from vapes like they did a couple of years ago, people go back to the legal channel because they don't know where these weird pieces of equipment are coming from. Or, or when there's a story of you know, some sort of bad mix in the in the cannabis, right? Or what's in your cannabis? Is it pesticides? Right. Is can fentanyl be in there or whatever? Um, then you see people go back to the illegal legal market. So safety is what would push people in there. Uh, and then the, the branding probably has to happen on the yeah, on like yeah, the process yeah. side. Like beer branding isn't on really maybe on some of the hops, but beer branding isn't on the type of barley or the type of uh, you know. Uh, uh, what uh, you know, the wheat that they use, right. the beer branding's in the processing. So same with cannabis, the beer br the, the branding won't be on the actual flour. It'll be on how you can process that flour. And the convenience factor too, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think the reason you haven't seen uh, demand for alcohol crater when weed is recreationally legalized is because, like you say, the power users are already using it. Mm -hmm. And then the incremental users are usually older and they don't drink as much anyway. So the, you know, it's all you're seeing is changes on the margin. Mm -hmm. And different use cases, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, good. Well, uh, thank you, Bill, for being on. That was very helpful and fascinating. And Jen, uh, are you, are you thumbnail chasing? <laughs> I am. If you put a better picture up than last time, were you looking? Okay. Will you do this? Awkward? Go like this. Go. I'll give you a couple of them, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that one. That is. Oh boy. I'm gonna have a field day. <laughs> have you learned how to do a carousel yet? I bet you haven't. <laughs> uh, that's good. Well, what do y'all y'all gonna have any plans this weekend? I'm sticking Bill with the kids tomorrow and running down to one of my best friend's birthdays. Oh, okay. Well, that'll, that'll to be San fun. Antonio to your to your neighborhood, Harry. Oh, good. All but right. Bill's, you've got some stuff planned too, right? Well, I, I found this amazing ranch in San Antonio to go hunting. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> well, listen, thanks for drinking beer, guys, and uh, appreciate you being on. Have a good weekend. And, Jen, I will talk to you on Monday. All right. Bye. All right. Thank Bye. you, guys.